Welcome to Politically Speaking, Scotland's flagship political podcast. My name is Mandy Rhodes. I'm the editor of Hollywood Magazine. And joining me to discuss the week in politics is my award-winning writer, Liam Kirkcaldy. Join myself and Mandy, and the odd politician, of course, as we chew the political fat and spit it out on the pages of the forthcoming issue of Hollywood Magazine. Well, you're right to say there's a lot of people. I had 10 million people roughly through my door since I started in this, uh, this adventure 30 years ago. But the row basically centres on a particular claim made during the trial of Alex Salmond, of which he was acquitted of, of all charges, that there was a policy within the Scottish Government of female civil servants not working with him late at night alone. Yes, every day is a disappointment for me. I think the soapbox is... Uh, 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 standing in the soapbox is not filling me with any hope. It's fine to feel like it's continuing filling people with a lot of fear and dread and we're being ultra careful. I think Jason Leach should go back to being a dentist. Oh, it would be way more impressed if he'd have come out with the baby in a proper wrap. So it's been a good week, actually, for Liam Kirkcaldy, who's followed the example set by the Prime Minister and has gone on his holidays, uh, although apparently not camping or with his security guards or a baby, but he has bought a puppy. So this week, I'm joined by one of the other Hollywood journalists, Gemma Fraser. Hiya, Gemma. Hello. I keep expecting to see leaked photos of Liam emerging out of a tent with his new puppy in a sling. I tell you what, he wouldn't do. You know that kind of half-dressed thing that posh people do, like <laughs> belts not quite done up or oh. shirts buttoned all the wrong way. And, and Liam's a smarter person than that, isn't he, really? Yeah. Nappy dresser, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Gemma, we usually start by looking at the rise and fall of political fortunes over the past week or so. So, who would you say has had a bad week? Well, I think it would probably have to be Linda Fabiani this week, do you not think? Yeah. She's had yeah. a bit of a rough ride. Um, yeah. Obviously, she's the convener of the committee set up to investigate the Scottish government's handling of the sexual harassment allegations against Salmond. Yeah, and it was always going to be difficult. Yeah, um, an job, I think. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I think, um, you know, Linda, she was a deputy presiding officer, a veteran of the Scottish Parliament. She is SNP, obviously, um, and she's announced that she's standing down next year. But basically, most people think she's an all-round good egg, really. Yeah. But... By the end of that first session of the committee, she was being accused of being got at, yeah. of suppressing witnesses, um, and, and she's now been threatened as the chair by her other committee members with perhaps legal action, um, all because uh, there wasn't a question that was answered by Leslie Evans that perhaps people felt should be. Yeah, that was it was a, a, unfortunate for her because really when you look at the remit, you know, she was perfectly within her rights, I suppose, whether it was right to, to you know, stand by what Leslie Evans said when she refused to answer it. But she was perfectly within her rights to do it, if you look specifically at the remit. Um, but the row basically centres on a particular claim made during the trial of Alex Salmond, of which he was acquitted of, of all charges, that there was a policy within the Scottish Government of female civil servants not working with him late at night alone. Mm. Um, now, during the trial, that was also counted by other um, witnesses who said that there was no such policy. 
But clearly, when you've got a committee designed to specifically explore how the Scottish Government handled claims of sexual wrongdoing by Salmond, alleged sexual wrongdoing by Salmond, it would seem entirely appropriate that they should be allowed to ask the Permanent Secretary, who is in charge of all the civil servants, was there such a policy? Yeah, there's, I mean, that question was always going to be asked, but there is never going to have been a policy in place, is there? You know, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's the that's what people will continue to ask, and it's pretty, yeah. you know, it's it's pretty central to presumably what the first minister and the former first minister will be asked, because both will be giving evidence. Yeah. Um, but basically, because the permanent secretary said she could not comment mm. when asked that question, and I have to say there was other reflections on her evidence. Um, I've heard commentators talk about the fact that we're getting a real insight into civil service speak mm -hmm. and the whole um, talking, not being able to talk yeah. uh, about things that their ministers should be able to talk about. It's, it's quite interesting. Yeah. But, you know, it's now led anyway to Douglas Ross, who's the leader yeah. of the Scottish Conservatives, ref, uh, complaining about Leslie Evans to the head of the UK yeah, Civil Service. It's not started out well, has it? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> I mean, and, I think the point yeah. I was trying to say is, while that question was always going to be asked, and, you know, everyone was expecting that question to be asked. I think the fact that Leslie Evans didn't answer it was a bit of an own goal for the opposition because then they could start all of these kind of conspiracy theories about who's, you know, who's been told to do what. Yeah. Um, and I think that's unfortunate for, for Linda Fabiani, who is now yeah. kind of in the middle of all that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think, you know, inevitably, this inquiry, a bit like the trial, if you like, yeah. um, lots of people are looking for lots of answers to lots of questions that I don't think either of them actually are ever going to answer. Yeah. But I think it's also unfortunate that on the eve of the committee starting its inquiry, um, the BBC broadcast a documentary by Kirsty Walk about the Salmon trial. Mm -hmm. And that documentary has now been the subject of a number of complaints to the BBC for its lack of balance. And apparently the former First Minister is also consulting his lawyers about it. Yeah, yeah. the BBC are, are standing by it though, aren't they? Saying it was fair and balanced, um, despite yeah. the criticism. But in terms of uh, if you ever buy into conspiracy theories, mm -hmm. it seems that the programme was also taken off, um, you know, the playback facilities for a period of time. Mm -hmm. um, and lots of people were thinking that was because it was being interfered with, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, inevitably this inquiry will... Um, There'll be a lot of um, a lot of questions and a lot of speculation going on. But in terms of the current first minister, it did also mean that she was forced to answer a question in the chamber about whether yeah. she knew of any policy that meant civil servants couldn't work with Alex Salmond alone at night. Mm -hmm. And she was very clear, and she well, said her, that her she didn't. Her answer was a lot plainer, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah a lot cleaner. Yeah. So we know that the inquiry will hear from the First Minister and the former First Minister, as well as two for, former permanent secretaries. So I guess that question will just continue to be asked. But I suspect, like the trial itself, there are so many people looking, as I say, for answers to all these questions that it just may end up not satisfying everyone. Um, and that the evidence that Alex Salmond um, mentioned when he came out of court after being acquitted of all charges, that has caused all so much speculation about who knew what when and whether there's a conspiracy of sorts to get him. Yeah. 
I'm sure will find itself into the public domain through other means. Yes, yeah, so somehow. Not least his book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and the committee continues as well this week. Um, so we're going to be hearing from uh, James Hind. So he's the head of Cabinet, Parliament yeah. um, and Governance Division. So he took the lead with the legal team on actually drafting the policy on handling complaints um, involving former and current ministers. So that, that'll be interesting as well. Yeah, I think what's interesting about it is you've got this committee going on, but clearly everything that um, is being discussed in that committee that's in public kind of leaks its way into the chamber, if you like. Mm. So um, there are then questions posed to the First Minister. Uh, and on a kind of another note, she had to spell out this week that she would not be taking a holiday. Um, that was in answer to a question about Boris Johnson's staycation in Scotland. You have to kind of wonder what he's taking a holiday from because he's been kind of absent when it comes to things like the exam shambles in England and Wales. We haven't really seen him. Very absent, yeah. And he's taking a baby with him, so he's not even taking a holiday from the baby. That's right. Well, I think what was interesting about that was when the Daily Mail printed pictures of the Prime Minister and his fiancée and baby Wilfred um, holidaying in Apple Cross. Most of us just commented on the strange way that he was carrying that baby in a sling. Don't get me started on that. (laughs) Did you think it was an elf and safety matter? I certainly (laughs) did. The baby was far too far down. Um, I would have been way more impressed if he'd have come out with the baby in a proper wrap, um, not not a sling, and he had it all, you know, cocooned up. But um, no, it was was safe looking. Well, exactly, Yeah. yeah. Baby. But of course, the um, number 10 sources have then been able to spin the fact that um, the Prime Minister abandoned his holiday in Applecross um, because they wanted to blame the nationalists, the, in fact, Ian Blackford, I think, for saying that he'd leaked the holiday location to the press. Mm. Um, that seemed like a dead cat strategy to me, really, because uh, I don't know. If it wasn't the cybernats that were going to get him, it would be the midges, wouldn't it? <laughs> Definitely, they're out of force at the moment. <laughs> they certainly are. Um, it's also been, just on the exam um, reference, it's been a hard week for John Swinney because he's basically gone from the exams fiasco in Scotland mm-hmm. to being put in charge of the Aberdeen COVID cluster yeah. to now having one of the worst COVID problems on his own doorstep with the Cooper Angus Chicken Factory cluster. Yeah. <laughs> I'm apparently the most famous person to have worked in that chicken factory, Gemma. And how did they work that one out? <laughs> I think it was a very small poll that Tam, <laughs> Cowan, <laughs> Tam Cowan and Stuart Cosgrove did on them off the ball. And uh, I, I think it was just because I was the only one that had mentioned I'd worked there. Right. OK. So it's a, a, a poll of one. <laughs> yeah, poll of one. And that was me. And uh, yeah. Um, well, anyway, an interesting place to have worked, I have yeah. to say. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was quite shocked to have discovered that you worked there, Mandy. It doesn't seem like <laughs> <laughs> I, I was forced to do these things. Working in a chicken factory, but there you go. I oh, know. Listen, I'll keep those secrets with me. <laughs> I, it's probably suffice to say that there's only certain chicken that I'll eat nowadays. But <laughs> anyway, moving on to so, a good week. Gemma. I mean, mm-hmm. good week, probably the lifting of restrictions around gyms and swimming pools, which yes. can open from the end of this week. That um, must please you. It does. Well, I, I don't know, because I've actually, um, in absence of swimming pools, I've taken up swimming in the sea. So whether or not I go back to the swimming pool after that, I don't know. 
It's yeah. uh, everyone seems to be talking about wild swimming, it, and you've really enjoyed it. Haven't I you? have, yeah. I mean, it has taken off massively. Um, for me, I've started doing it simply because I live beside the sea, and um, I've seen more and more people doing it, and I've, I've wanted to do it for years. Um, I've never had the courage or the need to do it before, but I think lockdown sent us all slightly crazy. Um, so I thought, you know, I would give it a go, and it's been the best thing that I've. I've done you know it's I absolutely mm. love it um, what what is it what do you enjoy about it's really, it it's really hard to to explain until you've done it I mean it's it's just you just feel the sense of calm I think really um you know if if you're being anxious especially during lockdown or stressed once you're in the sea it just seems to disappear um, mm. It's a very f- strange thing, but um, at the moment there's a study being carried out down south um, among a group of sea swimmers, um, and doctors are apparently recommending it for things like anxiety and to promote good um, mental well-being and also for the menopause. So that might interest you, Mandy. Oh, yeah, well, you know, the menopause completely <laughs> interests me. So you could have the seas boiling with all these hot ladies. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, not quite hot ladies. Oh, ladies yeah. the I don't want to comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and maybe I'll see you down in Portobello for a yeah, Maybe. Yeah. If you see the temperature of the sea going up, you'll know I've got it. <laughs> um, but also, you know, despite that good news, we've got nightclubs and live music venues um, still not being able to open. Mm, um, yeah. And also the news that Rule Britannia and Land of Hope and Glory might be being dropped from the proms. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, for different reasons, obviously, there's no, that's, this is linking back to Black Lives Matter, but um, Rule Britannia and Land of Hope and Glory, are say, people are saying that they could be seen as racist mm-hmm. propaganda. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for the proms, they're also not now in front of a live audience. Yeah. and. There's lots and lots of talk about how clubs and music venues will have to close and how creativity is being stifled. It is, yeah. I mean, I think that the arts, um, you know, theatres, live music, they they have been hit, you know, the hardest, really. And for a lot of them, they're they're just not going to survive. Well, actually, I spoke to Donald MacLeod, who, as the owner of two of Scotland's most iconic nightclubs you and I both may have been there in our time the oh, garage and the cat house I certainly um, have spent many a night yes <laughs> not that not I can remember them but, yeah. <laughs> yeah no social distancing no, whatsoever not, no. um but Donald uh, in his inimitable ways is, is basically he's he's talked to me about he's just worried sick really about the future for Scotland's club um mm. clubs and music scene yeah so we'll listen to that now okay Donald, you're a music promoter, nightclub owner, kind of Mr. Glasgow, Sunday Post columnist, raconteur, but above all else. <laughs> above well, all I else. should. Sorry, I should just point out here I am not a Sunday Post columnist anymore. I got the tin track. Have you been given the sack? Well, oh, yeah, I was. <laughs> it's not a sack, it's such a. I think it was redundant or, or a, I mean, surplus the requirements. Um, giving the newspapers and getting that it's such a right. really uh-huh. so I'm another one of these these figures so actually I'm a man with no job I've got a lot of titles but no job alright we'll try and get you one at the end of this then I mean I suppose um, above all else you're a really sociable animal so how hard has lockdown been for you personally personally it's been an absolute nightmare um, 
as you're right in saying I am a very sociable animal. I am somebody that likes to meet, greet, hug people. Uh, getting in and about it. It's my whole, my whole life has been like that. And uh, suddenly we were locked down. Um, Ten of us at the house here and locked down, and uh, then my brother died. We had to lock down. Uh, I, I, it's hard to put into words. I did do that. Though. I did put with my brother's passing, but it's been horrible. But you know what? I brought it as a family. It brought us a lot closer together yeah. because the three adult children, and uh, it, it's, it's unusual to have them all in the, in the house at the same time. Um, so it was great. And my best mate. Um, I mean, I was going to say ten. Ten. Yeah, that's what I was saying. There was five of us here. Then there was my colleague's brother, Stephen, um, with two kids, and uh, because. He stayed with his mother, who was a vulnerable person, and then I had my mate Mike, who was his best man as well, and then he was at mine. Uh, him and his wee boy, uh, he was uh, he is an anaesthetist at uh, an Edinburgh Royal Infirmary, and uh, he was, as we all were, worried um, that uh, he was going to catch the virus and uh, one, uh, I'd disable him or kill him. Or, or he pass it on to his, his son, he lost his wife two years ago. So we said, well, look, look, come here, walk down here, uh, and uh, uh-huh. you know, if, you, if you're called in to do some hospital work, then you can, uh, and, and you have to stay over, at least your boy can be here and be safe. But it was a very trying, <laughs> very trying, it was first, first of all, two months. Because, uh, we're buying, oh. a, buying a slab of bacon. Uh, yeah. You know, we've been going in again. Remember the sort of panic buy, and you know, you're going along, you need not just one wee packet of bacon, you need yeah. like a pound and a half, half a pig, you know. So, so we were doing that, so we masses of food, extra freezers, uh, and just total fear of the unknown. Um, and we're slowly coming out of it, but I think that the fear has been replaced by anger in a way at the moment. I mean, interesting, Donald, I mean, because we'll talk about your background and everything in nightclubs and just the whole music business. But for someone like you who's used to being around people all the time, and I, I mean, has it been quite shocking just all of that stopping? All of that stopping and equally, I, I, I mean... <laughs> I'm a very busy person, you know, as you pointed out. I'm used to going into Glasgow or other cities and meeting people, whether it's for work, booking shows, talking about, uh, or even for the newspaper at the the time, in and about with politicians, councillors, I'm the head of, uh, you know, the convener of the Glasgow Licensing Forum, set up the National Licensing Trade Partnership, you know, so I'm always on the move. So then suddenly to have nothing, uh, and your venues have closed down. Your office going to the—I did go to the office every Thursday to the column, but that was surreal. You know, it's like walking in. We're thinking that you're some sort of science fiction movie. Uh, the only—you know—seeing nobody, just the the the, the, the old homeless person uh, and police all looking at you, wondering what you were doing and. You're ready with the answer. I want to ask. You know, I, 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 I'm allowed to do this. I'm a journalist. You know, it was very, very off-putting. And I just, well, you I used that old card. Well, I didn't have to. Yeah. Thankfully, they just looked at me and thought, "He's a reasonable young man." 
but uh, coming out, you know, it's been, it was a nightmare, absolute nightmare. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, just to give a bit of your background, for, for a lot of people, you will have created their um, their memories, really, of social nights out. You own the garage and the cat house, uh, put on yep. bands like Oasis. So for lots of people, you have created their memories. I mean, I just wonder what you're thinking about young people now, what on earth they're doing. Well, you're right in saying there are a lot of people. I had 10 million people roughly through my door since I started in this, uh, this, this adventure 30 years ago with the car house. You know, I've had the tunnel, the shed, the garage. I've had three restaurants, so, you know, seven nightclubs at one point, the clubs in Aberdeen, I had a club in Edinburgh. You know, it just exploded and in between that, you know, the, the, the heyday, um, I had uh, I was I was the biggest promoter in Scotland. You know, I promoted I think it was like three four hundred shows a year. I was the biggest independent at one point. I was a huge company with five hundred staff, one hundred fifteen million a year. And then, boom, you know, there was the two thousand and eight, and then crisis uh, to two thousand twelve, which the financial was, crash. Yeah, which shaved the company right down. Managed to get escape that, and then this. Just to you get your begin to get the slippers on the pipe out, yeah. you know, thinking more about holidays than work, and uh, suddenly bang, you know. Um, as far as creating memories, I mean, uh, the amount of staff that have worked for me, that have met their wives or their husbands, and uh, in, in the clubs or in the club environment or through work, and then their children ended up working for me. You know, there's uh, many, many examples of that. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm very proud of that fact. And, and, and what saddens me now is, as you've just alluded to, is that kids, they won't, uh, this, this is going to really have a long term effect on, on children growing up, mostly children, young adults, and the, the way they interact with people. It's put, it's, yeah. Instead of being social, it's social distancing. It's, instead of being positive, it's been replaced by fear. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think we're doing enough. I think the mental health of, of all ages, but particularly the, the, the youth, it's going to be affected. People are going to be scarred for life by this. And I think it's incumbent on government, all governments of all parties, just to, to put a more, a more positive message because they're certainly not doing that at the moment. I mean, how would how do you think the twenty-year-old Donald McLeod would have coped with this? I'd have been a rebel. I, I know, I know, I would have been a rebel. I would have been fighting. You always were, though, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a bit of a rebel, even as a fifty-nine-year-old. But at the end of the day, uh, I wouldn't have coped with it as well as my children. Well, I've got a young son here in terms of he's nineteen. First thing he did. His college course got stopped at Fort William. He came down here and he went out and got a job. And we were looking at him going, what's happened to him? And he got a job right. at Aldi's, you know, it's just a part-time job. But it kept him busy. Uh-huh. And it's, and he's loved it, you know. He's not been able uh-huh. to go to college. Uh, couldn't finish his course. And he went out and did it. Me? No, I'd have been out. No, no. I, I, I'm just thinking of this 19-year-old me. Pink hair. Pins everywhere, uh, tailing it down to London, anarchy in the UK, and uh, I would have found it very, very difficult. Um, having to wear a mask, 
not talk to people. No, it couldn't have happened. I couldn't have done it. I'd probably be one of those of these illegal rapes, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, now I'm not, <laughs> and uh, and I can no, 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 I condemn them utterly, and uh, because I, I think they're safe places. Obviously, I've grown up, and, and, and they're safe places to enjoy themselves. And I've always said that the garage and cars and nightclubs like that that are well run are the safest places. And proven to be for uh, kids and uh, folk that want to go out to, to attend, you know, the legal raves and all the nonsense that goes with that are not. So today the First Minister um, announced some easing of lockdown, but still nothing in terms of nightclubs and um, th- those kind of indoor gatherings. Is that a disappointment for you? Yes, every day is a disappointment for me. I think the soapbox is uh, uh, standing in the soapbox is not filling me with any hope. It's fine to feel like it's continuing filling people with a lot of fear and dread. Mm-hmm. I think we're being ultra careful. I think Jason Leach should go back to being a dentist. Uh, I, don't, I think we've had enough. I think we've got to be move on. Uh, we're not moving on that way. And it, so would you... Sorry, just to say that, you know, the way I look at it, we employ people. We employ a lot of people. 160. There's other companies with thousands. We employ government. We pay for government. We are not getting the respect back. We're not yeah. getting treated that. We all accepted that this is a deadly virus. We've all played our part in, in, locking, in locking it down. But now that people are not being admitted to um, intensive care units. Now that our hospitals are lying empty, but the, the staff are more or less twiddling their thumbs and people are, uh, you know, waiting on cancer or, uh, uh, checkups, uh, heart checkups, where people are going to die that way unless they get seen. I think it's time we started opening up. Local lockdowns make, local lockdowns make sense, but bullet it's become a poisonous atmosphere where they blame everything from footballers to to, to publicans uh, for not doing their job and not applying the standards. I think that's very divisive, but I don't like it. I really don't like it. Uh, and I think that puts us back, and I don't see our end of the business being opened up. Uh, well, all the sort of uh, signals I'm getting, it won't be till next March. You know, it's as if they're waiting on. Um, that's a miraculous cure. Sorry, this miraculous cure that's not going to be there for could be years away, uh, or and indeed set Scotland up uh, to be like uh, New Zealand, to be as you know uh, virus-free as New Zealand, and run like New Zealand. Licensing is actually getting thrown to the you know licensees are getting thrown to the, the wind. You know we're getting stripped there. So, I mean, basically, you think the government are being too cautious? Far too cautious, yes. But at the end of the day, Donald, I mean, you could look back on your life and your career and say that you were used to risk or you thrived on risk. Right. There's always risk in life. But at the moment, and it's no getting away from the fact that there was more people died of um, pneumonia and flu in June than in July than uh, in the UK than through COVID Uh, and I don't think we're getting the real fact we're not getting see what I would like to hear is the numbers of those recovered 
you know, how many people are contracting this and not going out? How many people are contracting it and, and uh, just, you know, suffering mild symptoms? We are not getting enough information now. And, I, and that worries me. I, I, I like transparency. You know, you know, my business, you've got to let everybody know uh, how many people are in, you know, how many people leave, how many people have felt ill that night. I mean, you know, we've got a duty. We're not getting these sort of figures. We're getting told, oh, there's another spike. Can you actually, though, imagine a time where people will be happy to come into the nightclubs and, I mean, can you really see entertainment going on in the way that it did pre-COVID? I can, but it takes all parties to be involved in this. Um, the problem we have is, and I'll be quite clear about this, is that I am uh, terrified of opening. Uh, even when we got a sort of rough um, green light, I don't want to be opening just now because I do believe that we'd run the risk of taking a staff off furlough to, to investing and repurposing the, the venues and, and then suddenly there's a local spike and then we'd be get hit with a huge hammer and, and, and shut down and so and it would put its back plus uh, and this, I think we can all see this our towns and cities people are not going in they are basically staying near at home mm-hmm. uh, they're not they're not they're even advised not to go to work you know uh, and, and the public sector I think is a disgrace in terms of like councillors you know, civil servants are getting advised, oh, just stay at home. That's not a message I want to hear. And, you know, they're paid by the public money. When that runs out, when the grants stop, when the, when, when the unemployment starts to climb, that'll be a, a, it will be a different state of affairs, but it doesn't need to be like that. I think, as I say, we need to have more uh, confidence in coming from government, coming from the authorities, more drive to get people back to work. Um, and once that happens, then we will see the pubs flourishing, we will see the restaurants flourishing, uh, and possibly we can have the nightclubs open again as well. I suppose the problem is that for many of us, you know, like myself included, that came to the garage, came to the cat house, as we were all growing up, the whole point is that you're close to people. Yes. And if you get to a point where we're being told you have to socially distance, the kind of, is the enjoyment of coming to a nightclub taken out of it well you can't do it so let's get let's stop this uh right in its tracks you can't have nightclubs and dancing with social distancing you can't have live music with social distancing social distancing is probably the greatest evil at the moment uh, in, in terms of if, if the virus is not it's proving to be as deadly as we, we once feared if it isn't k- killing people in the droves which it isn't if it's if it's mild systems, symptoms that come through, then there's no need for social distancing. And social distancing will not, uh, you cannot operate a nightclub to social distancing. You can't have live music and a hot, sweaty gig with social distancing. Um, it just doesn't work. So what do we do then? Do we live with the risk? I think we've got to bring an element of risk back, but we've got to be no. But wait a minute. So, so what? So what happened? 
well, no, this, but see, this is the, this is the, the rhetoric here. Is that, yeah, but it's like almost like we, we have a binary choice, open or closed. We don't. It's not. It's, it's more complicated yeah. than that. And and I am not one. I'm not that foolhardy to say open or uh-huh. closed. What we do need to do though. And look, explore how have a date, something to work towards. You know, we start. The way I look at it, we should have, uh, we should be trying, uh, looking at say maybe the end of October, um, and you know, time for Halloween, everybody wears masks. But instead of saying the Gary's two thousand capacity, make it fifty percent, a thousand capacity. We still have the masks. You know, they still mm-hmm. have the hand sanitizers, but. By the very nature, we're reducing the capacity, so we're reducing the risk. Um, but if you have social distancing, and you, you stick not much snogging going on with a mask on, is there? <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot out there that may like doing that, but uh, <laughs> that's a different type of club. <laughs> Start a new craze. Yeah, well, I don't yeah. know if it's a new craze, but it's always been there. You, go, you could start it. Yeah, well, there's, there's people that like wearing masks. And, those kind of clubs uh, used to be illegal. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> dog, dog collars. Right, no, no, you you let's not go there. No, no, listen, I, I would like to, I have to, have to make it clear, Mandy. You know, I have to make it clear that I am a very responsible club owner and a very responsible uh, business yeah. I might say, it might say, oh, he doesn't care. I do care. Mm-hmm. I have a three family. I'm, I, 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 three kids, sorry. And I, I don't want to stop them growing up. I want them, and I don't want them to be foolhardy either. But I brought, as you, you clearly said, I was brought up with elements of risk all around me. And again, this is a new type of risk. Mm-hmm. But I think we've got to at some point say, right, we're doing the best we we can. To minimise the damage, let's move on because we can't stay in neutral, in neutral of gear, mm-hmm. doing nothing. We, you know, we just can't. It's the economy; we can't afford it. Yeah. There's, there's too many people going to uh, end up being unemployed and, 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 and on the scrap heap. But it's also, as you said, there's the mental health issues, but there's also a cultural issue. So you've got. Um, do you think this is going to damage musicians and artists and and just really how people get together and make music? Already has. Uh, already has. I, I mean, you see, mm-hmm. there is those bands that find it very easy, or those artists and individuals. Yes, streaming is there. It's not the same. You can tell it's not the same. In fact, a lot of them are rubbish at it. Um, but it, it stops involvement, it stops sharing stuff. Oh, have you heard this song? Have you tried it or tried this? It stops rehearsals. I mean, the rehearsal space is a, a vital component mm-hmm. of the growth of a band. Where four or five different people get together in a room and start making a racket. And then maybe one day that racket becomes a hit single or a hit album. They global superstars you know that's how it starts it stops that it stops gigs it stops that maturing into a musician being able to play in front of an audience being able to you know put fear put there it is again fear put it behind you walk forward walk tall show off 
make people like <laughs> make them hate you, make them love you. Um, mm. That's you know that's what it's all about. You think of any great band, any, you know, any big band, they can play live. Well, you most of them can. They have a dynamic frontman. They have a brilliant guitar player, or so. Or they, they just have some. You can only get that with touring and rehearsals, not in front of a, 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 a laptop, like a camera. You know. It, what it does, if you're talented, it will enhance that. I mean, I guess it takes away that creativity and the spontaneity, but I was also thinking, I mean, you, when you look back and think you toured with The Clash, yeah. I mean, what do you think Joe Strummer would have made about these kind of rules? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I fought the law and the law won, you know. <laughs> that's what would have happened. Yeah, anarchy was a word, a byword. And I, 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 it wasn't the class. I played with the class, I supported them, and I toured with Johnny Rotten and Upper Image and toured with the Dam. We'd have stuck two fingers up to it and then done as well too. But. You know, imagine having that COVID back then when these when, the, when the, this punk rock was exploding everywhere. You wouldn't have had these acts because there was no social media. You wouldn't, you know, to, to even put the yeah. stuff out. You would have heard about them. You wouldn't have really known what they were about. The TV was limited. There was no computers. You had to go to a gig, and the gigs, and, when, and you could tell who was a good band who wasn't. Yeah. Who rehearsed, who didn't. So you take away that. Same with Oasis, same with the, you know, the Charlotte, same with all these bands that came through, uh, you, you know, the Britpop, you know, Blur. There, there's another one, even up to the Arctic Monkeys and, and bands like that. But rock music, rock musicians, you know, there would be no Bon Jovi, there would be no Guns N' Roses. Uh, but some might say that's quite good with Bon Jovi. Uh, and it might say he'd be Coldplay as well, and that thing are rotten. But, uh, but, but at the end of the you wouldn't have had these, these are memories you can't replace. So Donald, where where is the protest right now from like those kind of musicians? Where you know where are the people saying fuck off? We're just going to get on with this. Well, you know you're bang on there, and Harvey Goldsmith this week stood up uh, to be counted, and he uh, with a great uh, attack, a blistering attack um, on the music industry. You know Harvey is a legend. You know he's, he's probably the most known promoter that have ever existed. In the UK, a lovely man as well, but blasted the record companies, blasted the publishers, blasted a lot of the acts for not coming out and saying "fuck you" as Israelis put, saying what's going on. But you know that we're all namby pamby. We're all being very, very sort of. I suppose about it, you know, that terrible can But you know, the bottom line is a record company, one, a record company is still making a lot of money through the streaming. It's uh, not having to invest the way it would, it's not having to pay for tour support budgets. Uh, so it's great publishers, and the same publishers are just screaming it because people are buying their music online, and of course, they never miss a trick that way. And artists, at the end of the day, the bigger the artists are, the happier they are because. You know, people are just buying, you're, you're going online, oh, I must get a second, you know, a rush release of this, oh, here's a new new version of that, you know, the, the back catalogues are, are, are massive, so from that side, you can see why there, there may be no great rush for them to, to join a sort of protest, 
Mars, but I can't imagine that happening uh, back in the day, you know, in 1977, you know, the artists themselves would have led this protest. I mean, some people have some people have adapted and um, have you seen for instance Sophie Ellis Baxter did the whole kitchen disco throughout lockdown listen you know it's been great as I say it's been great for some you know I manage an artist called Stephanie Cheap you know and she's doing really well she had number two in the chart Scottish charts who were her version of Heroes along with uh, George Bowie fantastic song you know uh, always been a great song but she, to me did a fantastic version of it she's done an awful lot of uh, videos and under lockdown, in the house, you know, and a lot of writing, and she's adaptable that way, you know, you, you can't put, you can't keep talent down, but there's an awful lot of others that don't work that way, they cannot work that way, they don't maybe have the opportunities, or they only come out of their shell when they're standing on a stage, or in a rehearsal room, that, that's the making of them, not in front of a, a tiny wee camera, or doing a fucking Zoom call, you know, it's like, that's, you know, that's, it makes it very sterile. So there's only a few artists out there that are good at it. I've seen some great artists, very, very bad at it. Elton John was one, that was, a, that was hilarious. That was awful. Then you've got, you know, Madonna, she's the same, absolutely ranked rotten. But then you go to the other side of it, to a band who were used to, Gig after gig after gig after gig, who found it. It was a doddle to them, the Rolling Stones. Absolutely brilliant, you know. When they they yeah. just got together because they play for fun. They're used to, <laughs> you know, their whole lives have been gigs. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'd like to see we band with the snuts and stuff like that. You know, in Scotland coming out and, and really grabbing it by the balls. But... Have you had a boogie in the kitchen? <laughs> by that, by that, you, if I had a boogie in the kitchen, by that, if I put the music on and danced, yes, well, yeah. I, of course, we all. I think we all have. What I haven't done is uh, take part in these drinking Zoom parties. I think they're awful. I would want to vomit. You know, honestly, it's like get away. Try, try and make something normal out of completely abnormal. You know. So, no, uh, yes, I boogied quite a bit. I boogied in my park with my birthday. I made an arse of myself. Yeah, that's basically what you're asking. I've made an arse of myself on a few occasions in the house. And, you know, but I let, even let off steam last night. I was at the restaurant. It was COVID, man. I was wearing four masks. But, uh, you know, deleted that as quickly as possible this morning when I got up. <laughs> but yeah, but listen. I just want us to move, get back to the norm. Yeah, yeah. That's just what I was going to ask you. I mean, so what would you be saying to Nicola Sturgeon just now, if you could? I think you've done a great job um, up to this point. Now's the time to start doing a better job. I get the economy running, get people confident, and stop living in fear. I, I really wanted, I think she's been a bit, you know, let's face it, one of these leaders out there that deserves all the plaudits. But now I'm getting suspicious as to why we are keep getting kept in lockdown when the, the stats don't uh, justify it. No way uh, did they justify it. And I, I, I can't for the life of me, I, I, well, I suppose I can, but I don't want to be putting on conspiracy theory number 20. Just get the, 
gets the Scotland back to the way it was. Happy, not divisive. Not, there's not a binary choice. We are, we have become a country which is quite divided now. And, you know, on one side, you know, when we're sitting there, people can, not condemning the folk that, that were saying English stay away from the borders was absolutely disgraceful. And I say that as somebody that, that uh, you know, voted for uh, independence. Um, I, I, so I want to see Nicola do a better job at healing the wounds and getting the, com- the, the economy going. And, and she's great. Let us know if you hate pubs and clubs, you know, because it's, at the moment we're not getting any help. I think it's been an absolute disgrace the amount of money, the sheer amount of money, millions that's went to the arts and theatres. You know, as much as that it's necessary to keep them open, but the Tron Theatre of 240 capacity really deserve 1.3 million and I can't even get 20 grand. I would argue that the garage has done more for the culture and Scottish music contemporary over the past 25 years than the Tron ever has or ever will do. You want some fun back? Yeah, and funds. Yeah. <laughs> I want fun and I want funds because the, way spent, the, the, the funding has been elitist in my view at the moment. Funds. Funds and fun. Funds and fun. There you go. That's brilliant. Thanks very much. So, Gemma, this is usually the kind of end bit of the programme, which Liam and I had uh, put together because he um, likens me to that kind of old guy in the pub that's just ranting and mumbling away in his pint also about something. He likens you to the poo lady as well. <laughs> You've been tuning I like in. that nickname. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll move on because I'll now be the chicken lady as well. Um, so this is, it's kind of, I suppose, developed uh, into more of, I would say, much more thoughtful thinking about something that might have got my goat up or your goat up or anything. But I think you and I were talking about it earlier and it's... Um, What's emerged from the pandemic uh, are quack scientists. Everybody's everybody's an expert about this Everybody. epidemic. Yeah. yeah, certainly for me at the moment, what's what's really irritating me is people who seem to know better than any of the scientists um, and have just decided to keep their kids off school because they yeah. don't think it's safe. Um, you know, people have followed the the you know most people have followed everything that the scientists and the, the professionals have said over these months and we've been you know socially distancing keeping kids away from all their friends um but when we get the the go ahead to send them back to school without social distancing i think for them some people to turn around and say it's still not safe it really mm. just sticks in my throat a little bit to be honest because you know, I think in a lot of the cases, these are the kids who really need to get back to, mm-hmm. you know, a normal routine or, you know, whether that's just even getting a, a, a meal at lunchtime. Um, and I, I do worry about these kids who still aren't back at school. I think the other thing is I was speaking to quite a few parents who've talked about, um, you know, their kids have been isolated and they're now mixing again and they're getting all the usual sniffs and everything else. Mm -hmm. And the kids themselves are frightened that they've then got COVID and it's trying to get past that. And, uh, you know, kids are going to still get illnesses. Well, that's it. I think it's, it's about striking the balance, really. And I think there is a fear that, you know, if your kid's 
you know, just got probably just a cold, you know, like what always happens when they go back to school. But if you're not seen to be, you know, getting them a COVID test, then you're a terrible parent or you're putting other people's lives at risk. So I think now we have a situation where people are struggling to even get tests. You know, people Mm. are going online and being told to, I read someone saying today that they live in Edinburgh and been told to go to Newcastle for a COVID test. Um, And this this is kids, you know, who are just getting their usual kind of coughs and splutters that they do um so yeah I mean that's a difficult one to manage isn't it yeah and you also don't want children to become um you don't want them to get frightened of everything um so it's just managing as you say the risk and and balancing out what's the sensible thing to do Mm. and as we always finish on this note politicians should take note and perhaps help us all do something about that So they say a week is a long time in politics and you've just heard a fraction of that condensed into today's Politically Speaking podcast. I hope we've enlightened and entertained and the next time you hear someone say they're not interested in politics, remember you know a podcast that can help them with that. If you enjoyed this episode of Politically Speaking from Hollywood Magazine and the chat between Liam and I, remember to subscribe and leave a review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also remember to check out our fortnightly release of Hollywood Magazine, available in print or online at hollywood.com. Bye for now.